So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. Hi, everyone. This week, I have a fantastic conversation with Fred Baldessaro, a former colleague of mine at the New York City Council and an expert in the communications arena. And here's what he has to say. All right, Fred. Well, firstly, thank you for taking the time to share your journey. No problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's get started. Question number one for you. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? Well, I think about this a lot. Um, I think about it a lot because I've, I've been in communications the whole time since I've graduated from college, but I've change jobs within communications, and I'm wondering where that goes from here. I started off studying to be a journalist and did practice journalism for a while, but got involved in politics. And from politics, I got to be a press secretary and a communications director, and I'm currently a director of communications. So I'm I'm down that path, and that's taken me into a lot of interesting jobs. It's taken me to jobs in the federal government. It's taken me yeah. to jobs in the private sector. And now... You know, as I as I get into my 40s, I'm starting to think, well, what else can I do with this, and what am I missing from my career? And I I find the one thing I keep coming back to is creativity. Yeah. How do I keep How do I keep things interesting? How do I stay interested, and what can I do? And that's what's led me to think about what else I can be doing in this field. Fred, when was the first time that you thought about this idea or expressed this idea of creativity to yourself? You know, it's funny, I probably always have, but I've definitely been thinking about it a lot in the last year. Um, I've been spending more time, so after leaving the federal government, I I found that the, my next job experience, the first way I, I thought about my next job experience out of the federal government was, was, could I make more money? You know, obviously you take a pay cut to get into the federal government to do public service. Yeah. And after five and a half years, I had a wife and a, a small child at home, and I was thinking about how I could cash out and take that experience and make more money and kind of catch back up to my salary. Yeah. And then I found as I started looking for work that money wasn't the only thing I was looking for. And I could have taken jobs that paid anywhere from one hundred eighty to $300,000 a year, and that would have been fine, but I think it was going to lack a lot of the other things that I suddenly noticed I was missing, and that's when I think the creativity stuff started coming up as an actual word, and as I was actually thinking about what I was going to do, Yeah. and I found that I you quickly think about all the things you can't do in the government. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of bureaucracy, so... I kept coming back to you, I want to be more creative. And that's when I actually started thinking of the actual word. And I now am at the point where I, I think about that every day. I think about what can I do to create something as opposed to just kind of going through my job, you know, in a rote kind of way. I'm going to ask us from another angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? It's a good question. Um, and it's hard to answer. I think... 
you know, I kind of always imagined that my 20s were a chance to figure things out. My 30s were a chance to, like, try a lot of experiences. And my 40s and 50s were going to be a chance to, like, make the most money, sort of have the most opportunities and kind of it was going to be the high water mark of my career as I then headed into my 60s. Um, I guess I am where I'd, I'd like to be, but I think there's probably more I could do. And I think for a long time, I'd always thought about, you know, what else could I be doing? I think I have achieved the ranks of communications and I can do jobs where I manage a lot of people. I manage budgets. I manage experiences. I manage you know communications processes. So I think I'm kind of, I mean, there's obviously more to learn, but I think I have reached a level of which I, I can do a lot of different things. Yeah. I think what's missing now is I'd like to do more. And what else can be added on top of the job that I can do? I think up until even just a few years ago, I didn't think I could do everything there is to do. But I do think I'm at a point where I can handle the day job. I'd like to see what else I can add on to this experience. And I think where I am, I'm thinking about, you know, can I add more photography into it? Can I go back to my journalism roots? Can I do more writing? Can I do a little more travel? Like, what can yeah. I do to add on to the experiences that I'm having? Yeah, and um, Fred, for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell me what it is that you do today? I'm the director of communications for a very large nonprofit that's based in Washington, D.C., and I work on state campaigns to help push um, the need to have better policy in the states. Talk to me more about this idea of doing more with your current job. Well, I find that, you know, there's, I think people get trapped in a job and they just do what's in front of them. I think you have to find the space where you can do the, you have to do your job well and you have to do what's in your, you know, performance goals and you have to do what's sort of uh, on paper for your job and you have to do that well. But I think if you can do that well and you can excel at that, it is worth talking to your manager or talking to your bosses and figuring out if there's ways to add on other things you can do. And I've been spending the last year or so talking to my supervisors about, okay, you know, I, I, I can handle my sort of nine to five job, but what else can I do that would allow some creativity in the space I'm in? And I bring other things to the table. I've lived overseas. I've worked in politics. I was a journalist. So what else you know, I'm a, yep. a, a, an amateur photographer on the side. So what else can I bring those skills into work to make it a little more fulfilling? And I've found that through some meetings I've had, through some conversations I've had, you can't do all of it, but you can do some of it. Right. I'm the backup photographer at work. Uh, I got to travel for an event uh, out to Sacramento a couple months ago. Um, I'm helping people think through like the mentoring process at work. So there's, there's things I can do that I are not part of my truly nine to five day job, but yep. round out my experiences within the building. When did this idea of photography first enter the realm? I think because I went to school to be a journalist, I've always been interested in visuals. Um, I always imagined, and I think growing up in an age of TV, I spent a lot of time watching TV and I imagined myself being on TV covering the news. So I, I and I've always had that drive to go towards where the news is, um, which helps me understand how to be a journalist and how, how to figure out what a journalist needs in the communications job. For photography itself, I mean, I've always taken pictures. I've always had a camera. In 2005, I got my first point-and-shoot 
digital camera. Yep. And I found that I was just spending, instead of buying film all the time, I was finding it could be very immediate. And so I started taking a lot of pictures, taking pictures of events I was going to and travel. And little by little, I found that that point and shoot camera couldn't do as much as I wanted to. So I upgraded to a, a Canon Rebel camera, which is a DSLR camera, which allows for um, larger files and other stuff. And I I went on, I took that on some trips, personal vacations in 2008. And I really loved the fact that I could take literally hundreds or thousands of pictures and didn't have to worry about getting them all processed. And I could quickly look at them and print them or send them to people. And then I've since upgraded to another camera in the Canon family. And now I've actually bought a second camera. So I'm, I've been told I'm I've been told I take good pictures. I'm trying to figure out what I can do with it. And I'm at the point now where I'm wondering if that is a, a second job or a second career. Yeah. I'm not sure which way I would go just yet. Can you walk us back for a second? What was the earliest idea you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> I remember in eighth grade, I told the class that for my eighth grade yearbook that I wanted to be the president of the United States. Uh-huh. So... Um, I think I've always probably had an interest in news and um, communications, even though I probably couldn't articulate it. Um, and I, 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 I don't mind managing people. I know there's a lot of people that struggle with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I like to do some teaching on the side and do that sort of stuff. So I think always sort of having some kind of combination of being in the public eye, doing something with the news, doing something in politics, something that has to do with something that's very popular and known, I think it's probably always been there, um, even if I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. And when did you realize that being president was not going to be for you? <laughs> well, I'm still young enough to be president. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's a lot of things that go into it. And uh, I have found that as as someone who has supported presidents and worked on campaigns, that there's there's plenty of other opportunities to influence the debate and be a part of things without actually being the president. Um, when you think about it, there's only been 45 presidents. So right. uh, it's a very small world to get into. Lead me through the thought process that got you into journalism and communications. Well, I can remember the time that I thought about being a journalist for the first time. I was at the old Boston Garden in Boston, and I was sitting in the second to last row in the balcony watching a Celtics game. And I I was a huge Celtics fan growing up in the 80s, and I could, you know, any chance I could get tickets to go, which was hard to get in the Larry Bird era, I would I would get, but I would... I had these really awful seats. I was really far away. I was so excited to be there. And I remember looking all the way down and watching the reporters who were sitting courtside. And I thought, I am paying money to be here. And they are getting paid to be here. And they have a better seat than me. (laughs) And I, from that moment on, thought about that this should be, I should pursue this. I love this so much. Why am I not, why am I not, you know, getting paid to do something I love? And I did pursue sports journalism and in college, I've had a lot of conversations about, I had internships, I had a lot of conversations about doing sports. And in the end, you know, I think it didn't work out. I was persuaded to, I should have more of a news journalism background. I shouldn't, I should be more of a generalist to look for a job. Sports is also on nights and weekends. So it's hard to have a family. It's hard to have a social life. Um, so there were a lot of reasons I got out of covering sports. Yeah. Um, but I, I distinctly remember this probably was I probably was 13 or 14 at a Celtics game and remember thinking this is what I'd like to do. 
And so when you think back today on this idea of sports communications, where where does that sit? Is there still an interest there? There is, but I I I struggle with um I struggle with how do I do something that I love and still enjoy it? And I wonder, although I never really covered sports all the way like today's reporters do, I always wondered like would would I have lost some interest in sports if it just became a business to me? Um, Chris Fowler, who works for ESPN, once told me at an internship, he asked me where I was when the ball went through Buckner's legs in 1986. I'm a big Red Sox fan. And I said, I was glued to my TV watching it. And I was very upset. And he's like, well, you know where I was? I was in the basement in the bowels of Shea Stadium. So I didn't see it. So when you cover sports, you tend to miss some of the things that are enjoyable. And so I, I think of that from time to time, if I would have had a bad experience or would I have lost my interest in sports. And so I do struggle with this idea of, how close do I get to the things that I love as a hobby? Yeah. And so I, I, I do wonder if I, I mean, maybe I would have loved it and I would have been great at it. On the other hand, I'm glad I get to still enjoy it as a hobby and not as a profession. And talk to me about this um, idea of uh, being a sports communicator, being in front of the camera versus a photographer being behind the camera. <laughs> So when I was in college and I had to put together a resume tape, I spent a lot of time where you'd set up the camera and you would do a stand-up or live shot like you see on the news, and you'd need those for your for your TV resume tape to send around to um, editors and producers. I didn't enjoy it. It seemed very stunted to me to pretend to be really natural, and yet it <laughs> seemed very unnatural. I was talking to thousands of people, but I wasn't talking to anybody. I was talking to a little black camera yep. and I, I, I found it very unnatural and I didn't understand. It seemed very fake to me and it, it led me away from being in front of the camera. But I've always had an interest in capturing the moment and thinking about it visually. And I think that's probably what puts me behind the camera is that I, I know what goes into a new story. I just feel very uncomfortable pretending to be something that I feel like I'm not. And so photography is very real. When yeah. you look at something, you're capturing that image you know, one five hundredth of a second of that time. And that's something that truly is happening. And you're not, I mean, you can edit it, but for the most part, you're not manipulating it and you're presenting it just as you got it. And that's, I think, probably why I like it more than being in front of the camera. Yeah. And, and Fred, where does this idea of capturing things, where does that go back to? I think this does go back to some kind of news or journalism roots. It Uh it goes back to the ability to say, here's what's going on and why. Um, You know, I'm still one of those people that's drawn to the news. You know, I, uh, when the inauguration was coming around and there were going to be all these protests here in Washington, D.C., my first reaction was, oh, I wanted to be in the middle of all that, capturing all that. But, you know, roads were closed. I have a young son. Yep. You know, it wasn't easy to get into town, but I was definitely stirring inside. I'm like, I want to, I want to be a part of history, both to cover the good and the bad side of the inauguration. And I, it bothered me that I couldn't do it. So I think the idea of being able to tell a story is something I'd, I'd love to do. And I think that's probably why I'm still in communications. Is the idea of capturing, is that more for yourself or is, are you interested in capturing in order to transmit to a wider world? 
I think it's both. Um, you know, I think about, you know, I, I, the way I think of photography is the way I look at a African safari. You don't necessarily see what you're looking for and then something comes up and you have to capture it very quickly. Yep. I think the thrill of the hunt of looking for a photo or looking for a moment or trying to tell a story that isn't being told, yep. I think is probably the thing that, that drives me both in my job and drives me with photography, the ability to go out and find something that is uniquely your own and then you're telling it to other people. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I think the world comes into people who I always liken it to a, a crowd at a concert. There's the one person on stage who's singing and getting everybody to clap their hands, and then there are the people who are clapping their hands. And I've always tended to be more of the guy that's encouraging people to clap their hands than being one of a one in the crowd. And I think photography allows you to singularize yourself and put it out there to be like, this is what I've got. This is how I see it, and I want you to see it too. Yep. And I think you can build things around that. You can put together stories. You can you can write articles. And there's there's all these things now that you can use that we didn't have, even as children or teenagers. The ability to you know post a blog, the ability to go on Instagram, the ability to write a face a post post on Facebook page. You know all these things that you can tell how you see the world and sort of craft a narrative, even for your personal life is something I like to do. Thinking back on your career to date and thinking back on your friends, family, and colleagues, is there a consistent thread in the type of advice or counsel that they have sought from you? You know, I, I, I tend to find a lot of people who have seen what I've done in my career and want to mirror it somehow or, or want to get there and they don't know how. And yep. so I spend a lot of my time walking them through that there's, there's no easy step to it. There's probably a series of steps and you're kind of going across concurrent paths. I think there are a lot of younger people who will ask me for advice and they want to be a communications director or they want to be a lobbyist in Washington, but they don't know how to get there. And I would say that you're years away from getting it. You, you, you need to have experiences. You need, you need to have connections and you need to have experiences. Uh, the experiences will help when you do become a communications director, that you can lay out a plan for people because it's based off of years of things that you've seen repeated over and over again or things to stay away from. Yeah. And I think you can't just step off, you know, the stage at college in your college after getting your diploma and then hope to be the communications director. You just don't have that experience yet. It's a good 10 to 20 year process. Yep. And, and, and so I, I always counsel people to, take the long view and get as much experience as you can. That'll help you as you think about becoming a manager, you know, and I think the flip side is for me, you know, I had a family that, and most of the people that I, you know, grew up with come from a very safe environment. You know, my family didn't want me to pursue all these things. They wanted me to work for the phone company or for the post <laughs> office or for Con Edison or something where you'd have a good, solid job for 35 years and you'd know exactly what you were getting. And I think it was hard for my family to watch me go off and quit, you know, a part-time job at Home Depot and become, you know, take a job on a campaign when you knew a campaign was going to end because how could you take a job that you know is going to end? That's right. no security there. And right. so I did have to get a lot of different experiences because I didn't have anyone suggesting I should do that. I had to figure a lot of this out on my own. Can you tell me how it is, you gave us a good view here, but how else 
let's say your parents impacted your career and your decision making process along the way, either explicitly or implicitly? You know, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I was certainly the first person to graduate from college. And I noticed that I sort of, you know, my mother, my, my mother supports me in everything I do. But I, I, you know, I remember being in college and being in the car with my grandfather and my grandfather didn't talk much. And at one point he asked me what I did during the day. And I walked through how I, you know, I was doing communications. I was helping with PR and public relations plans and telling stories. And I walked him through all this and he had no follow-up questions. He didn't understand what I did. And I finally turned to him and said, well, you know, when news happens, how do you think it happens? And he said, well, I think it just happens. (laughs) And he thinks that people then just show up to cover it because it's happening. And so I was like, well, there's more to it than that. There are people who are putting out press releases and advisories, and there are people who are calling reporters, encouraging them to cover something versus the other. And he, he just had a blank look on his face. And my whole family is like that. They, they've never done anything like this. So, you know, my mother will support me and, and, encourage me to do things. But I noticed after high school, I didn't have anybody in my family I could turn to for advice on how to pursue both my time in college and my career. I had to find that from outsiders. Yeah. Um, And how did you go about doing that? I just got very involved. I made a decision um, after I graduated from high school to be more extroverted and make the extra step to talk to people. I didn't do much in high school. Uh, I kind of kept to myself. I didn't really play any sports. I wasn't involved in many clubs. And I decided that if I was going to be the first person to go to college and really experience this, then I wanted to do everything that I could. And so I made a point freshman year to join everything I could and meet as many people as I could and get different experiences because it was going to be different than anything I had had growing up right outside of Boston. So, and I met a lot of different kids. I met a lot of different people from different backgrounds. I, I started reading different newspapers. I, I joined different activities and, and it opened doors to me to meet other people. Yep. And so I, and my enthusiasm for a lot of things led people to want to include me in more. And that's how I ended up getting more opportunities for internships. I wrote for the high the, the college newspaper. Um, you know, I, 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 I added more and more on because I showed enthusiasm for all these different subjects that I was finally getting to do more of. Fred, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? I would say probably a five. Yep. And actually, financial stuff doesn't matter. Well, you know, I, I was happy just to be making a salary in um, getting out of college. I made $30,000 to work as a journalist uh, out of college and living in New York City. And at the time, I thought I had hit it really big. Um, uh, in 2001, I was working my way up the, the journalism ladder. I was in the new media world of Internet journalism, and uh, I lost my job. And at the time, I was making $85,000 a year living in New York City, and I thought that was really great. I ended up taking a job in the world of politics for $27,000. Yep. Um, 
and I only had enough money to pay the rent for the next month at the time. So I had to scale back on everything. Um, but it taught me that I didn't need, I was, but I was really enjoying the job. So it taught me I didn't need that, that more opportunities would come. It went back to sort of the enthusiasm gap. I was very enthusiastic about the opportunity to do something different. And I got to work in city hall in New York. And over time I worked every day for a year at $27,000 a year. In fact, at one point my, my phone had been turned off and my boss was trying to reach me and I had to call him back from a payphone. Um, so, you know, but I did it. And so from then on, I was never as worried about money. I mean, it's, it's, it's important to make a good salary. Yep. And now that I have a son, I want to make a certain amount of money, but if I'm not happy doing it, you know, like I said, I could be making, I, I, I talk to companies about, you know, making anywhere from, you know, 150 to $300,000. I could have done that. I'd be making a lot more money than I am today, but I'm, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it because it would have been strictly for the money. You're now thinking about pursuing photography a little more wholeheartedly. Talk to me about what that, what that thought process is like. It's very time consuming. I can spin around in circles thinking about it. Um, you think about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Usually you think about the bad and the ugly first. Right. Would this be, you know, financial ruin? Would I, how do I get business? How, how do I do this? And, um, you know, and the good stuff is, you know, you can set your own schedule. You can do what you really care about. You can work on a lot of different subjects. Um, you know, it's, Again, it comes back to creativity. I, I think I can do interesting things in my job, but I'm I'm wondering if if there is a business to be had here. Yep. Um, can I monetize something that I enjoy doing? And so I I spent the last um, six to eight months, and I started looking into it. I've done some photography workshops where I get critiqued by photographers. I've I've done some travel and some seminars and some classes and workshops where I learn about the business and learn what I would want to do in the business and what would be, what would make sense for someone like me. And then in the last few months, I've built a website to house my work. Yep. And, um, what I found once I built the website and told people about it was that I found that I had people reaching out to me, asking me to, uh, if I could do some work for them. And it kind of caught me by surprise because, I, I don't feel I'm ready yet, um, but I had people who thought I, I do a good enough job. They want to hire me. Yep. So I've kind of accelerated a lot of my thought processes and plans. And I've, I, I've met with photographers both in and out of the business. I've met with people who have worked in the um, – that do their own sort of businesses, whether it's photography or whatever, to kind of get a sense of what works, what doesn't. And um, there are some steps involved. I in order to work with anybody who is a business, I would need to register to have my own business so I can have my own tax information to give to people who want to pay me. Um, I, I may, depending on how much I would need to get into it, need to buy some more equipment. Um, but as of right now, I've had three or four people reach out to me for business. So I'm, I'm in the process of creating a, a business yep. and then going back to those people and saying, yes, you can hire me and here's how much I charge. And, you know, as, as a new server on the scene, you know, I, I would charge a little less than, than people who are professionals that have been doing this full time. Cause I do have some of my own restrictions, um, in terms of time yep. and in terms of resources. Um, 
so I, I, I would hope that if I could do some of those things and do it on the side, I could slowly build some business and work through my connections and then see where that goes over the next year or so. And Fred, what do you think it would take what do you think it would take to make that a full time endeavor? Well, the photography world is very crowded with a lot of people who, uh, what I'm learning through this process is there are people who charge anywhere from five to $10,000 to take a picture of a, take pictures at a wedding to people who will charge you $50 to take five pictures of their, of your kids and give them to you online as a, as a JPEG file. Um, So there's a wide variety of people who are across the spectrum. I have to figure out where I fit in that. Um, it, based on my own models and what I've tried to figure out is if, you know, I live in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, I probably need to pull down either a very high five-figure salary or or a six-figure salary to make it work um, and also to match similar to what I've been making in my career. Yep. Um, in order to do that, I probably need to gross, you know, say – $200,000 a year to be able to make $100,000 after taxes and overhead. Yep. So I've been trying to figure out then based on that, working backwards, how many hours are there in the year, how much would I have to charge and what kind of, how much time would I be devoting to actually making money? And so I'm, I'm going through a process now where I'm sitting down and figuring out, well, unless I'm making that off the bat, I'm probably not going to, you know, uh, there's no way I could probably do this full time. So can I do some things on the side and maybe keep this as a business that would allow for some flexibility if and when I choose to leave my full time job or I, you know, decide to, you know, do something else or 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 can I can I parcel together some consulting work, some teaching work and photography? Is that a model? And I'm so I'm sort of walking through different financial models to figure out how much I can and can't do. Fred, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, are there any career aggravations looking back that, uh, that stand out to you? You know, there were times I think as I went through jobs that I'm like, why am I doing the job I'm doing? I'm not interested in this subject or I'm not interested in this idea or I'm not interested in this world that I'm working with. But I have found that uh, in the time that may be true, but as you get older, all those experiences fill in for things that you, that you might, you never know when you might need uh, knowledge in a particular subject. I I don't have a huge amount of interest in the spaces around education and healthcare, but you know, in my time in the government, I worked on, you know, how to move legislation on the affordable care act and that has come in handy to know both how it would work both for the country, but also how it would work for me. If I were to start my own business, is that something I would need to do? Because there's a lot of small businesses that, that need to access healthcare. And so there's things that I never would have imagined that I had done that would ever come to anything. And more often than not, you do find that that's, they do, they do come around. I don't, I don't regret any jobs that I've had. I don't regret, um, any experiences I've had. There've been things in the time that I don't know why I'm doing them, but I've, I've found that everything pieces together with, uh, with other experiences, both good and bad to tell you what you should or shouldn't do going forward. And on the flip side, are there any career highlights that you would tout today? You know, I'm very proud of the five and a half years I spent in the Obama administration. Um, it, it's, 
it's a very unique experience. It's hard to do those kind of jobs. It's hard to get those kind of opportunities. And I think the highs are very high. The lows are very low. And there were definitely days where it was, you know, one o'clock in the morning and I was working on a speech and I, I sitting at my desk and thinking, what, what am I doing? And that might be followed up with a meeting with the president. And so you'd be buoyed by the fact that all this work was to help the country, to help a direction that we wanted to go in. And I'm, I'm very proud of that work. I felt like I got to do a lot of things and I met a lot of people. And last question for you, knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? What I would tell them is um, remain enthusiastic, remain inquisitive, um, talk to as many people as you can, pursue the things you're interested in, um, you know, pick something you're interested in and stay with it. Um, there's nothing better than working in something where it's something you're interested in and you're being paid for it at the same time. Um, and there will be some setbacks and there will be some things that are hard to do. But overall, I think if you can, I find the people who are the most enthusiastic and the most willing to do work that might be right outside of their comfort zone, those people tend to move up faster. They tend to have more opportunities and they, they tend to enjoy more of what they do. Love it. Fred Baldessaro, thank you for taking the time and sharing your journey. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you being so forthcoming about it. No problem, Greer. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing the podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.